Every Wednesday from 2 to 3 p.m., WRFL invites you to office hours, real-world conversations with UK professors. No appointment necessary. Representing the 16 colleges across campus, Office Hours brings professors from every corner of UK to share their adventures in academia. Go beyond the syllabus and learn more about the people behind the research. We'll be demystifying higher education one interview at a time. Stop by every Wednesday afternoon. Office Hours is available online via wrfl.fm or on the airwaves on 88.1 FM, Radio Free Lexington. Hey, Hello. you are listening. Hey, hey, are you trying to talk over me? It's been a I week. will have none of that. I'm too excited. It's been a whole week since we've been together. That's true. Yeah. Last week we had a snowpocalypse. Mm-hmm. And so Snowmageddon. I was just spinning some tunes instead of having regular office hours. And uh, I should mention that, of course, you are listening to WRFL Lexington. 88.1 Radio Free Lexington. Uh, this is office hours every Wednesday from 2 to 3. I'm just going to be quiet and do the things that I do behind the board and let Sarah take control. Thanks, Brian. And that was our dear board master, Brian Connors Mankey, or BCM as he is to me in my heart. Welcome to office hours. I'm your host, Sarah Schutze. Once again, this is WRFL 88.1 Radio Free Lexington. It's amazing how a week away you kind of start to feel a little rusty. So bear with us. I'm sure. I don't know. We'll get we'll get into gear. We have some awesome guests with us today: Hannah Petard and Andrew Yule from the Creative Writing Department and the English Department here at UK. And we're going to talk about your work and lots of great things. So, would you guys mind just introducing yourselves? Sure, I'm Hannah Petard. Um, I'm in the I'm in the Creative Writing Department. I'm in the English Department. Uh, I stepped rather. on your intro. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm I'm a member of the English Department, and I teach primarily creative writing so far. I'm Andrew Ewell, and I'm also in the English department, and I, I teach creative writing and courses in contemporary literature. And, and for the sake of transparency, we should also admit up front that not only do we teach together, we're married to each other. Which means so we live together. We, we do everything together. We do, we do. It would be more fun to wait till the end to disclose that <laughs> and just sort of like have this weirdness maybe that, that oh, we yeah. just those, always wonder like, those colleagues know each other well, right, don't they? Right. We, we were pretty sure that um, at DePaul, where we both taught before we came here, that we had quite a few students who thought that we were dating. But, like, <laughs> like secretly? To, yeah. yeah <laughs> our, co- you know, our colleagues knew that we were married, but we had some students who would be like, do you know him? <laughs> yeah. Do you like him? <laughs> yeah, I do. I know him. <laughs> well, we'll see if, uh, in the course of a radio interview, if anything new reveals itself to the both of you about one another. I'm oh. open. Sure. <laughs> wow. I'm open to it. Wow. That puts a lot of pressure on uh, office hours today to disclose something new to two married people about their marriage or themselves. That's what your gotcha question. Uh, yeah, for, right? right. I forgot those out of my office, so we might be in trouble. But you both are, those were very modest introductions. You're both um, creative writers and fiction writers, right? You, Hannah, had a novel come out recently this fall, Reunion. I did, yeah. Uh-huh. I, my second novel came out in October, and yeah, uh, yeah, my second novel came out. That's <laughs> I exciting. I really talking about me. Okay. <laughs> but you could talk about one another. That might be fun. Will you, tell us about each other's work. So tell us about Andrew's work. I can talk all day about Andrew's work. Andrew, uh, <laughs> Andrew actually writes fiction and nonfiction, and he writes right. uh, sort of, I would call them social essays. Social commentary essays, um, 
And uh, he writes fantastic short stories. He's written a novel that I have read. The world has not yet read it. Um, it's wonderful. And he's working on something right now that he won't talk about. But you okay. could try to get him to talk about it. <laughs> now you talk about me. There's something really nice. Um, well, you, what, you, started to, you started humbly to talk about reunion. So Hannah's second novel came out in, what, October? Mm -hmm. And she has a third novel slated for 2016. Mm -hmm. Is that right? It's amazing. That's <clears throat> yeah. So your first book was how long ago? It was 2011. 2011. That's a lot of, a lot of books in succession in my, a lot my of time. My feeling is get them, get, like, get them out and keep going until, yeah. until I can't, until I hit the wall. <laughs> and then... And then I'll just keep teaching. Hannah, Hannah sits on the sofa and writes novels while I watch NBA basketball. <laughs> that's, that's, that's kind of true. Wow. Yeah. Do you just tone, just like zone it out completely? I like there's um I I did my first novel I did write with uh, the NBA playoffs in the background. That's that's not that is not a lot, or at least I finished it. Um, and I. It was very useful to me because it was enough of a distraction. I'd, I'd already written a novella and a, a collection of stories that didn't sell. And so there was enough of me that was frightened by the current project, The Fates Will Find Their Way, that um, having the MBA, having Andrew sitting next to me, um, and having him making fun of me the whole time saying, you know, what are you doing? Are you, are you writing and putting in air quotes? Uh, it, was, it was kind of nice. I was able to keep it light and not to be thinking constantly, if this doesn't make it, then mm -hmm. I need to find a different route really quickly. Um, it can be sitting alone in a, in a room trying to write fiction can be, and you start to second guess yourself when you don't have some distraction mm -hmm. uh, like Hannah's talking about it can just be really it can be too tempting to sort of stress yourself out over the details and lose sense of sort of the bigger picture mm -hmm. um, you know the blank page is a very intimidating thing sure. so when you have I don't know that I could <laughs> write a novel in front of a basketball game, but I mean, but to well, my couldn't. mind, it's the same as working in a coffee shop, let's say, mm -hmm. or you know, on a park bench where there there's the distraction of life that sort of keeps things in perspective and and makes you understand, okay, this is an important this is important work, but it's not everything in the world at this moment, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think of um, I've described approaching my computer before as sort of. Like sneaking up on it and taking it by surprise. <laughs> like I just, I just happen to be in the room at the same time with it, and I'm going to be over here folding my clothes, and and then I'll start eyeing it a little bit. You know, don't don't think about it too much. Just get the get this chore done, and then pouncing on it, and you know, trying to see how much will come out before I let my brain start second guessing exactly what Andrew was describing it as. Sounds like trying to catch a rabbit. It's, it, that's nice. That's, I, that's the new euphemism. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go try to catch a rabbit. Yeah, there you go. Willie T. Young it is. Right it's now. very elusive. I like that. It's a, it's a slippery endeavor. It sounds, yeah, I mean, and the, the, the whole having something on in the background or it's just like white noise, you know, mm -hmm. trying yeah. to to center yourself a little bit and it makes a lot of sense is there so is there a space or a ritual that you have now that's productive for either of you uh we've both been using the faculty study rooms mm -hmm. at the library which is a great resource here neither of us has we both i, I guess i was gonna say neither of us spends a ton of time writing at home mm -hmm. though that's not entirely true yeah. it's <laughs> uh, we, I think we both enjoy a mix, or at least I'll stop speaking for you, and I'll say I get restless if I'm trying to work in one space for too long. So I like so if there's a ritual, it's a ritual of change. Yeah, 
That makes I a like lot of sense. Coffee shops. I like the library. I like you know moving about and being able to mm-hmm. sort of walk by people mm-hmm. when I take a break. So you're not uh, isolated yeah. and sort of hermetically sealed in a room <laughs> yeah, exactly. with you and your I've, words. I've also really liked the library. Right now we both have a similar schedule that we're teaching on Tuesdays and Thursdays, which means um, we can be in the library, and we have separate carols in the library. That is absolutely essential. Um, <laughs> but we, we're both in there pretty much on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And for me, this is this is very new to me, being this scheduled with my writing, and I'm finding it frustrating and also very productive at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of neat to be in your own little glass space at William T. And um, there's, there is no laundry to get up and right. fold. Uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm the queen of procrastination. I can so easily go a week or a month without writing if there's anything to do, if there's a house to clean. I'm, I'm making it sound like all I do is clean at home, and I, I do so much more. <laughs> um, but if, the, if there's internet to browse, if there's anything like that, and of course you can get <laughs> internet in, in the library, but um, I've really been liking that it's just me and my computer and my notes and every couple hours one of us will come get the other one we'll go get coffee and mm-hmm. we take a little snack break and then we go back to writing mm-hmm. so that it's very new to me and i'm liking it a lot mm-hmm. and that that's working well with your teaching schedule you said it's yeah. based around that yeah, it's working really well with the teaching schedule do we, you do you find that you have to kind of separate the your thinking like approaching teaching in a separate way than approaching your writing do you find much overlap between those kinds of thinking Hannah? Yeah, I have to separate them significantly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, perhaps more than Andrew, although maybe you'll say this is wrong and I'll be speaking for you or making a false statement about you, but I tend to treat, when I'm in the classroom, here's where it does overlap. I tend to treat students as if they are writers. I just mm-hmm. I just turn on the, you guys are writers, so I'm going to speak to you like writers. And sometimes I think that can be detrimental, um, but sometimes I think it can be really useful and it can ask them to step up. So in that way, when I talk to them about how I write, I'm being very honest about it. And I don't try to hide that aspect of my life, but on the days when I teach, I cannot also write. Mm-hmm. There's There's no... The, all of my creativity on that day, on those days, go to stimulating students, keeping them interested. Uh, and so, when I come home from teaching, <laughs> there's there's nothing um, there's nothing smart happening in my brain. <laughs> after I, I would agree with that. I mean, you go teach and you and you think I can't wait to get home and finish this chapter I'm working sure, on, right. and it doesn't happen that right. way. I mean, whatever. Whatever creative energy you have is zapped by the teaching. But in the grand scheme of things, I think there's a lot of overlap, uh, at least in as much as you have to sort of galvanize your aesthetic principles in order to try to communicate them to somebody else. So Mm -hmm. teaching a bunch of beginning writers some element of craft, dialogue, let's say, or whatever, forces you to reconsider your own assumptions about what constitutes good art and that I think in in the larger picture can is is really useful yeah. um, and and applies to your own work in some kind of 
tangential way. But mm -hmm. in the practical aspect of it, yeah, the, I think, I mean, my writing happens on days that I'm not teaching. Mm -hmm. And my teaching happens on days that I'm not writing. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Well, I, I would yeah. say that being, specifically being at Kentucky has helped both of us do that because our, our teaching schedules when we were still living in Chicago were significantly more hectic, which meant there were more days on which we were teaching, uh, so there were fewer days to be writing, and because we were teaching more classes, had more students, those days off when we weren't in the classroom, it it felt like we were. Um, so it was mm -hmm. it was much easier for me to procrastinate there, um, just because it was it felt it felt like it was just really busy. And do you approach writing like you would it, like showing up at the library or wherever you're going to work that day as if it were a job? Or are you a little more flexible with yourself? <laughs> she laughs. That's a good sign. <laughs> Do you guys have jobs where you can watch the NBA? And, no. <laughs> in, in your pajamas? <laughs> no. I don't know. Do you want to answer that? Or do you want to take this it's, one? It doesn't feel like... It doesn't feel like a job per se. But I mean, but neither does teaching to me, mm -hmm. really. It's, it is a job, but it's the only job I mean it's the job I've wanted since I was a kid yeah and so I so I'm glad to go to work yeah I, that was air quotes around right go to work um not around glad <laughs> no not around glad uh no so I so I'm so I'm I'm happy to go to work in as much as it is yeah. a job but you're calling on resources to do that job that are that are sort of tougher to pinned down, mm -hmm. you know, emotional resources, yeah. uh, psychological resources that that you can't always mm -hmm. access. So mm -hmm. you might go to the library thinking, I've got a thousand words to put in today on this chapter, but mm -hmm. the characters just don't speak to you, mm -hmm. in which case you might write a thousand bad words that day that are going to end up getting cut out of the book, but that's that's just the way it goes. Mm -hmm. So no yeah. matter what, I mean, I guess I guess I'm trying to say that you might have the intention of treating it like a job, but it doesn't always doesn't conform behave. to that standard. Yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I guess I would only say that um, the the only way that it is like a job for me is that there there are times when I am so happy to be away from it. There, there I can, like I said, I mean, I can really go weeks and months sometimes without writing and just enjoy that time away from it. Unlike a job, there is always a wall that I hit with that amount of time where I start getting cranky, I start being mean to Andrew, um, <laughs> and it takes both of us about a week or two to understand what's going on. He'll say, do you, do you need to go be by yourself for a while and go chase that rabbit? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and so that it's, I don't know, I can't, I can't imagine not writing. Even, even if it weren't getting published, I just can't imagine. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the thing that's weird about it. It's a compulsion. Uh -huh. And... And like any other addiction or compulsion, you ha it, you have to go away from it, and then you're seduced back towards it. And to to keep working in the job metaphor, you're also the boss and the lowest rung employee, <laughs> and you're a tyrannical boss sometimes, and you're a really hardworking employee, and then you also slack off, and <laughs> and you come down hard on yourself for it, and then you forgive yourself and. I mean, it's a very it's it's a very difficult cycle. Mm -hmm. It's rewarding and it's also embarrassing, <laughs> it's maddening, and maddening. Yeah, it's embarrassing. That's a good word for yeah. it. I'm interested to know what year 
um, what NBA finals or NBA playoffs you were watching mm-hmm. when you were writing the first novel because I want to know if like Kobe right. or Rondo kind of like you know kind of like flow into the piece without you kind of really knowing mm-hmm. or something. Do you want me to tell you right now? Sure. I think it was 2009. 2009. Right? Okay. Well, it there was the Celtics uh, finals run, I think. So Celtics Lakers was 2010. Uh huh. I think that this was definitely before the 2010. Was? Okay, because well, the book was already sold in 2009. Okay, so in, yeah. in 2009, I'm going I'm to do research yeah, let's over, do the, it. <laughs> over the break uh-huh. and see what I can dig up and see if I find any... I remember really liking some the hard outfits. reporting. Okay. Yeah. The, the what? The outfits. The outfits yeah, were good. There okay. were some really pretty players <laughs> that year. <laughs> That's helpful. Yeah. We'll find, we'll find them. Okay, well, uh, we'll I'll have due diligence here momentarily so on and, the case. And, and figure out what uh, things worked themselves <laughs> into mm-hmm. the novel. Back in a moment on WRFL. Okay, well, welcome back to Office Hours. I'm your host, Sarah Schutze, and we're here with Hannah and Andrew talking about writing and whatnot. (laughs) And marriage, in a sense, too. Mm -hmm. So um, tell us what projects you have going on right now. Andrew? We rehearsed this last night. (laughs) Did you really? (laughs) We sort of did because we were both reluctant to talk Uh about work in progress. That makes sense. It changes, it morphs, it becomes something different. Inevitably, if you call it one thing, then next month it, Absolutely. it's totally yeah. different. Um, but you can tell them about that novel you're working on, about the lady professor. Oh, that's <laughs> the, the really savvy. What we joked about at the bar at Cole's last night in, in prepping conversation was... What did I say? I said I was. I said I. I said I would tell you that I was writing a novel <laughs> from from the point of view of a woman professor in the English department at UK and her husband or something. And she's, her dashing husband. Yeah, her her dashing, sympathetic, generous <laughs> husband, and and she's domineering and Wiley. impatient or something. Sounds like a bestseller already. Right. Right? It does. Yeah. Right? It does. It has um, a dark side well, to it. <laughs> can you talk then about something that uh, recently was published, whether that was um, a something magazine-wise or otherwise? Uh, yeah. Um, Andrew's taking on Americana one salon essay That's right. at a time. <laughs> I, I do seem to have fallen into a, a a routine of leveraging critiques against American culture <laughs> and, <laughs> and consumer culture and media and all that but sort of thing. But you do it because you love America, which is in the news right now. <laughs> yeah, we must well, say I, that we love last, America. The last salon piece I wrote was about um, technology in the classroom, mm-hmm. or or about getting technology out of the classroom, which is not, which is not a popular position at no. the moment. <laughs> it should be. It should it be. It should yeah. be. But I mean, no, you're right. But there's, I mean, there are organizations on campus devoted to bringing more technology. Right. There's money available to. And there's more, money available yeah. for it. It's and about doing it in a smart, well, kind of well thought out way, instead of just because it's new and it's there, you need to. Install it into the classroom. Right. We're the last yeah. Luddites on campus. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's what our on the radio. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it also depends what it is. I mean, it depends on what you're teaching also. I mean, there. I think that there is uh, probably great utility to any number of technologies uh, in the classroom, but mm-hmm. it depends on what kind of classroom you're talking about. I mean, I tend to think that um, that there's something lost when a book is also, say, a computer. 
and also a mail delivery device and all these sorts of things. You know, I mean, I think that uh, that the function of art is diminished mm-hmm. by um, by its relation to consumer products that inevitably come up when you have, an, let's say, an Amazon account open on a page or on a screen next to the uh, PDF of the short story you're discussing in class or whatever it happens to be. You know, I think there's a sort of a, a risk involved in that. Yeah, I think that, that that sort of comes back to, and I'm glad that there was a way for me to segue back to this for a moment because I wanted to make sure that uh, we did provide the caveat to the conversation that we were having earlier about with regard to writing and having distractions, that the distractions that we're talking about are white noise distractions. They are not yeah, the distractions of point. having a browser open. And mm-hmm. so I just want to make sure that all of my students and every aspiring writer out there knows I am not advocating, nor is Andrew, that they uh, be surfing the web or I am with, the, is that, do people still I am? I, I don't no know, idea. whatever, whatever <laughs> you're doing. Uh, Quit yik yakking. If What's that? Oh, oh no. That's the, no! Oh my that's goodness! That's a dangerous thing recently. It is. It totally <laughs> is. Uh, but don't be doing that and writing or reading for that matter. Um, okay, that's it. That sounded, that sounded <laughs> okay. like such a. You have lecture. to explain what yik yak is for people who don't know. I I have a very. I'm. Sh- I think that you might be able to explain well, it no, better I mean, than I, I can. I only caught wind of it with its most recent scandal that was in the news. It's, you mean when all of the Cornell professors got on onto Yik Yak to spread love and positive feelings because there was so much negativity? Well, no, there, Is there something else? There was, that, there was something in the news recently that students were on Yik Yak in a large lecture hall and they were essentially slandering the, the oh. professors at the front of the classrooms. Oh, but, of course, in Yik Yak, you're anonymous. Right. As yeah. you're posting. Oh, God. And so it went up the uh, chain of command after it happened, and the university um, really sided with the students really? and their freedom to be able to, to do mm-hmm. that and didn't really... I mean, it was really touchy. Uh, and so I don't want to get into it too yeah. much because of that. But that's how I kind of caught wind of, of that of that new kind of... Yeah, maybe well, the customer's technology. always right. right. Mm-hmm. right. <laughs> Here comes American <laughs> consumerism again! <laughs> uh, I won't tell you what I'm working on now, but I'll tell you about... Do you see this? Uh, this is what I do. I change this up. Yeah. <laughs> um, when we're off air, I can tell you some more opinions <laughs> that I have. Um, uh, the book that's coming out next March, um, I can tell you what that's about. It's uh, because it's nearly a done deal. There are some edit, some minor, minor edits that are happening, but it's a 24-hour road trip, a sort of gothic road trip in which a marriage goes, I think, as my editor is saying it, quote-unquote, hauntingly awry. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, just in this, in this 24 hours. It's a just whole in 24 novel. hours, oh, yes. And, and that's, um, you know, I think, I think it's... I have become increasingly obsessed with time mm-hmm. in my fiction. The, f- the first novel, The Fates Will Find Their Way, takes place over a course of about 40 years and follows a group of boys um, into adulthood, into middle-agedom. And uh, the second novel, Reunion, is a first-person, a young woman's first-person account of uh, the immediate aftermath of her father's suicide, and it takes place in four days. Oh, and wow. then this is um, a third-person back and forth between the husband's point of view and the wife's point of view, and it takes place in 24 hours. And of course, by condensing time, you have to start looking at the scope of what you're noticing and what your character is noticing. Um, it just changes. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm, I'm constantly trying to do new, new things for me, not new things in the 
you know, sure. in the literature. But yeah, new challenges yeah. for yourself. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. That makes sense. Would you? I mean, is there another kind of installment of of time that you would experiment with? Nanoseconds. Nan- nanoseconds. <laughs> it's are a nano up. story. Um, <clears throat> no, that's. I, I just, listen, I, there's probably going to be. I'll write a book in an hour. I somebody's already done that, but. And I don't mean I'll write the book in an hour. Mm-hmm. I mean only Though an you hour. Might. Though I might. You could. I do write <laughs> quickly because it is an illness. <laughs> we've, we've worked on some screenplays and television writing together. Oh, yeah? And there are, uh, there are some necessary time constraints involved in that medium, at least partly because the frames go by at the same rate no matter how you write the, Interesting. the script. And the and there are conventions to um, the television format in particular. You have sixty pages to tell however much of a story you want, mm-hmm. which is I mean I've found it an enjoyable challenge. I think would would you say that? Yeah, I think it's 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 been really nice. We found ourselves. Um, I think it was about last spring. We knew we were moving here. <clears throat> Neither of us was working on any long format pieces of our own and we both reached that sort of um, restless period where we were irritable because we weren't working on anything creative but we didn't have we knew we were moving so we were also in the process of slowly packing so there was nothing we wanted to commit to project long format project wise and so we just thought what can we do that would allow us to hang out together um, and collaborate with one another that might potentially yield something one day. So, yeah, I liked it. Okay, so we liked it. <laughs> will, it will potentially yield something someday. Is there any, uh, any movement on it? Yeah, I mean, we're represented for it. So, you know, so the answer is yes, but it's always a maybe sure. in, mm-hmm. in this, mm-hmm. in this the ho- Holly The Hollywood is a really... Um, interesting it's an interesting industry and if 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 we are occasionally frustrated by what um the publishing industry is like in new york i would say that the la industry if you're actually invested in it would probably be doubly infuriating um but we're only you know we're we're on the sidelines and it's something that we sort of dabble with and toy with but we have representation um i think that they everyone would like it if we would give them something what what, what did we realize it was called not genre. It's it's more than that. It, what? It was, what do you think? What do you know, you vampires think? and vampires and talking dogs <laughs> in Hollywood. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> it, they it, love that stuff. <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, they, they want it big, big, right. big, 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 exciting stuff. And we're more like um, to borrow a phrase we're, from we're six, writing we're Henry art. James novels <laughs> in sixty-minute increments. <laughs> so you you two are not responsible for the new SpongeBob movie. This is what I'm. Uh, what would you say if I said we were? <laughs> I, I would be excited. <laughs> we just do the voices. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Well, I think we're due for another short break. Um, so stay tuned for more office hours, and we'll come back to talking more with Hannah and Andrew. Yeah, we're back with Hannah and Andrew. We've been talking interestingly about writing, and there's been some very interesting metaphors that you've both used. Um, you know, sneaking up on your computer. Um, you talked about it as an illness or a compulsion, a mania, a job to some extent, but um, just a, 
a lot of uh, creativity here just talking about <laughs> what it is to be creative for a living. Um, what were some, some important moments in your career so far as a writer? Any kind of like moment where you really, it was a turning point? Yeah, we were, um, so we got the cheat sheet from yeah. you on this. Yeah. Uh, and like we said, we, we were sort of doing a... But you didn't give the answers. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't. I didn't, um, no. <laughs> and, uh, and we were, it just naturally took two different respond or two different ways of responding to it. And um, what, what I said last night when I was telling giving my answers to Andrew. Um, <laughs> I said one of the most pivotal moments for me in my writing career, and career maybe in quotes there, uh, was not getting into grad school the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, that that was a, a huge shock to me. I, I had done not much research, uh, but I just assumed all you have to do is apply and you get in. And I applied to the top five MFA programs in the country, and when those rejections came in, I found it was like a hammer to the skull, um, just just a surprise and devastating, mm-hmm. but it was also a wake-up call that you can't just skate by, that this is a very um, difficult path to pursue. And um, so then I would say the another pivotal moment was the next year getting in actually getting mm-hmm. in and um and then and then going and knowing f- really quickly discovering that I was at the bottom of the class that had been accepted i know that because i got in from the waitlist um so I, I literally was well not literally but you know i was at the bottom of the class and uh, those were all of those were just sort of necessary um you know i felt like a ping pong ball being swat like feeling like i was up one minute and then yeah. being swatted down um and they all all of those instances made me want to try harder and um i think i'm lucky in that i have a naturally ambitious personality that you tell me no and my first instinct is to say well hold on mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm sure that i can talk you out of this mm-hmm. so rejection was really big for me andrew we we recently i'm going to explain your achievement oh. uh your or your your chutzpah or go get her attitude or whatever it is you're describing oh, enneagram so we recently yes. took uh the Oh. The Enneagram yeah. Riso Hudson Enneagram the, yeah, personality. The, the Riso Hudson Enneagram personality test. So much fun. Um, yeah, I highly recommend it. Best it's, hour. Is it really? Yes. Oh Ten dollars. My, my yoga studio is doing that now. Oh, do it. Yeah. You've got to do it. So much fun. It's so much fun. <clears throat> it's you'll never need therapy again. I'm kidding. That's a total joke. <laughs> well, you you find you find out things you already knew about yourself, but hadn't quite articulated or or made as explicit as this test will will make and uh so hannah <laughs> discovered that she is off the charts in achiever which is in fact she's too unhealthy to unhealthy oh. <clears throat> yeah to unhealthy levels yep. um which explains in, so in the, much in the best way the achiever is the sort of person who who doesn't quit, who doesn't take no for an answer, who <laughs> tries harder the next time, and who's buoyed by her failures and that sort mm, of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also means that she's heartless and has no feelings or compassion <laughs> for other people and will, and will trample. Uh, the, imagine, for example, the, um, 
the so uh, Glenn Close true. character from <laughs> Fatal Attraction. That that's the, yeah. that's me. That's the classic achiever. Yeah, <laughs> the classic achiever. Wait, yeah, Andrew, so that's what, what, it's what another are you? bunny metaphor. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's another true. bunny. I I'm uh, an enthusiast and a reformer with unhealthy levels of each. unhealthy levels of enthusiast and reformer, which which apparently also are sort of countervailing uh, personality types that aren't supposed to reside hmm. in the same. But the reformer Mine. accounts for the articles a, that he's constantly writing. That's a very, those are 18th century style like categorizations. Being yeah. an enthusiast oh, is dangerous, you know, and it's being an vi- advocate, some sort of renegade reformer. Yeah. You know, this this test cool. is really wonderful for. I'm, like, um, I'm Martin Luther. Right. That's, <laughs> that's okay. So I'm Glenn Close. I just want to be to- <laughs> yeah. boiling a rabbit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're I'm more Martin like Gandhi. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> I might. I think also Hillary Clinton is under yes, the Hillary Clinton, achiever, right? I'll yeah. take that. So if you go to I'll the be Enneagram, Hillary Clinton. If you go to the Enneagram like website, they, they have, they, they'll provide historical figures who fit the personality type that oh. uh, for each of the nine categories. So yes, I think Hillary Clinton is a is a an achiever. I think so. Um, Obama so. might be a reformer. Obama's oh. a reformer, absolutely. Yeah, that makes right. sense. Okay. But there are these other wonderful types. There's, there's loyalist. Um, Another 18th century. What's, what's the one that... Uh, <laughs> oh, the whole thing is horribly outdated, it's, but, it's, but it's really fun. <clears throat> yeah. And and it's so funny. Um, my mom and I both, t- after we took this test, I had my mom take the test, and she is also an achiever. Um, and neither of us have any instinct to be helpers. <laughs> we're both loyalists, but we're not at all helpers, which I think is funny since she is a mother and I am not. She should have some help. She should there. be a helper. She of needs some to kind. be a helper. <laughs> she should be a helper. <laughs> she is. But well, Andrew, you have to tell us what you are. I don't even I think remember this is, the question. No, it's you were, were going to tell us about your pivotal. Um, you you had a more creative response to it, and that's why I think students especially should hear your response. Oh, about a pivotal career yeah. moment. Um, yeah. When I was thinking about that question, I think I, I found myself thinking more <laughs> about pivotal creative moments or the or the pivotal moments that made me want to embark on this career to begin with uh-huh. uh i think maybe partly i was thinking that way because i because i loathe taught. the business of publishing it's mm-hmm. just it's i don't loathe it that's not true uh it's but it's but it's not what keeps you writing and it doesn't have to be what defines your career yeah. either right. yeah um, so so yeah so i found myself thinking about the the books uh, in even in high school really where I started to where you'd read something and you'd think wow you can do that or um, you know or wow that much can be contained in in one volume I mean uh, Anna Karenina was a revelation for me in high school uh, as was I can do this (laughs) no I didn't think I could do this I thought one could do this and Gandhi uh, and it was also, but it was also just, I mean, it was just a, a revelation to, to see so much of the world contained in those pages. And Dubliners was that way for mm-hmm. me. Moby Dick was that way for me. I mean, and, and I think those were the, so that was sort of one, one stage of creative development was, was d- discovering yeah. the, the greatest that the, the greatest ideas that the, that the world has produced. And then, at some point, having wrestled with those things and, and through college, I, I started to find uh, a kind of magic and wonder in the opposite of those large volumes, which was like mm. the 
the small, elegant story that that um, you know that finds a way into your everyday life, that asks you not to reconsider uh, what you think about, uh, you know, that asks you not to reconsider uh, um, the serfs as you know, and the and the serf class yeah. as as. Anna Karenin asks you, or something like that, but that asks you only to reconsider your relationship with, uh, you know, the bartender you might encounter mm-hmm. once a month. You know, I mean, these small, everyday, localized kinds of concerns, and and stories like Ann Beatty's stories, Joy Williams' stories, Carver, mm-hmm. these stories that that were uh, domestic concerns that had, as I said, more localized concerns and. Uh, approached their subject with um, a simple language appropriate to mm-hmm. its subject. I think um, <clears throat> I'm glad you just said Anne Beatty because I was going to ask you this if you would say also that because Anne Beatty, for me, I actually studied with her and she was the slap in the face that I think my fiction needed so that the actual person who in real life ma- made me reconsider certain things and made me try harder. And I was wondering if you would say Leslie Epstein would be your your version of my Beatty, that that he was a sort of pivotal moment for you being in a classroom with him. Oh, absolutely. Um, right? Yeah, so so Hannah was talking before about graduate school yeah. as a as a major uh stepping stone in her career and absolutely. I mean, being in Leslie Epstein's workshop at so I went to I did my MFA fairly well into my writing career. I had been publishing stories for quite a while and and that sort of thing. So I had a sense of myself as a working writer. Mm-hmm. And the, the Leslie Epstein's workshop was a very democratizing environment where it really came down to the art and had nothing to do with whether you thought of yourself as a working publishing writer yet or not. It was it was just a matter of aesthetics and I think being sort of broken down to be built back up in that way was a really, it was frightening, but it was really pivotal to to um, how I approach the page now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's so funny. Um, it, it, people who are professors and are teachers, uh, I think almost if you if you stop any of them in the, in the hallway, they will be able to say one, if not five, teachers that they had themselves that were just so meaningful. I, I, don't, I know we need to go to break now, though. Yeah, I, we just, could, that's, I, I can read your lips. Thank you. That's a good. Uh, thank you for the yeah, segue. You're <laughs> All right, we'll be back in just a moment. It's just the a shortest quick break. of short breaks. So yeah, like five <laughs> breaths. Ready? So we want to keep talking. All right, welcome back. That was the shortest break of all time. And we're back with Hannah and Andrew. I wanted to jump right into asking you, because we're almost out of time. It's flown right by. But I wanted to ask you about critics and any sort of criticism that has been formative or has either for positive or negative. I don't know, even something that you just sort of felt like you could you could sort of laugh it off because you knew who you were as a writer. Anything come to mind, Andrew? Uh, well, we were talking before <laughs> about the, my contentious Salon yeah. articles and uh, the message, whatever they call the scroll the at, the at the bottom of the... Bottom. The comments? Of the, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the comments or yeah. whatever. Um, they're sort of notoriously snarky on, sure. on Salon. Um, and that's one thing... I don't read them, 
but Hannah reads them, and I'm an achiever. I need to know what people <laughs> are saying. <laughs> and 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 very often the those very often those essays I write are met with snark. Well, yes, I was going to say gratitude, and then oh. the others are met with snark. <laughs> Sorry. But Focus on the positive. Sorry, yeah. In any case, in any case, you sort of have to. I think there's. You can't take any of it too seriously because, well, for one thing, most criticism, even the best criticism. I mean, like James Wood or something. You know, mm-hmm. that sort of thing is approaching a work of art on terms that are different from the terms that establish the work itself. Which is to say, a two-sentence comment on Salon or Slate or something is not meeting the rigor of an essay that might be 6,000 words long mm-hmm. and, and is girded by, um, by research and, and critical understanding and... Uh, an historical appreciation, and so on and so forth. Likewise, a novel um, that might be 300 pages long and have taken two or three or four years to write can't, uh, just by virtue of its of sort of the the um, by virtue of its provenance and its condition in the world, can't be met with the same quite the same degree of rigor uh, by a five-page review. Mm -hmm. That's not to say that there aren't great reviews and great reviewers. I think there are, and I think it's a necessary part of the literary culture, but... um, But But we want the anecdote. But they're two different environments, you know? They're two different... Mm -hmm. You're not going to tell us an anecdote about one of the comments? All of that without (laughs) anything specific? I had no idea. Was was I meant to provide an anecdote? Yeah, I thought you were going to say something like about... you must have one. Professor Ewell... How do you feel about lawns and children? Oh, that was something like that. Yeah, I don't know if it was delivered <laughs> quite like that. What's your pos- Someone wrote in the comment section of a salon piece I'd written. Someone wrote, uh, "Dear Professor Ewell, what's your position re kids on lawns?" As in, "Hey, you kids, get right. off my lawn!" Like because <laughs> like, like, I'm curmudgeon. Uh-huh. Right? That was the that was the implication. I thought that was sort of clever, though a thinker. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, because I am an achiever, I do have to read all of the comments. Although I I wrote one Salon article, and I'll never write another one because they were so painful. But um, (laughs) my favorite Amazon review, the negative ones are the ones that I read, obviously. Uh, And somebody wrote about, I think it was about the fates will find their way. The response was, she writes a little too well, and that is what bothered me about this novel. And I thought, well, there you go. And and then she gave me two stars. And I thought, why not just give me zero stars? Why why two? Why why taunt me? With yeah, it's not two stars. right? <laughs> you you wrote too well to be good, but not well enough to be really bad. Right. Although the Washington right. Times did, uh, there was a reviewer. The I think the one negative review for the Fates Will Find Their Way it was. Um, a reviewer for the Washington Times said that it was like reading grade D MFA fiction. Ooh. Ooh. I was so mad. Was that written by the Reverend Moon himself? It might have been. <laughs> I wrote her an email and said, thank you so much for your time and for reviewing my book, and she did not write back. <laughs> That's all. Perhaps she was the source oh. of the Amazon review. She well. might have been. She might have been. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe That's, that's the grade D's too careful or I don't know what that could possibly <laughs> Who mean. Who knows? Who could yeah. know. people's that, minds? I don't think there is, there's not a, there's not a D person in an MFA program getting that's a D because right. they're not in a program. That's right. I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's the weird thing about the 
the culture we live in right now where there is a, I mean, there is this sense of, uh, of being entitled to your opinion, mm-hmm. uh, which is, which I suspect is no different from how it's always been, except that we have media and technology that, uh, that give voice to every single opinion, mm-hmm. whether it is critically astute and informed or not. I mean, hence the yik yak right. environment, yeah. right? I had a I had a funny sort of reminder um, a couple of years ago when I was at DePaul University. I don't like reading uh, feedback on my teaching. It it makes me really uncomfortable. I get this like homesickness you mean feeling of customer satisfaction. <laughs> I might like I might vomit, but I checked out rate my professor um, because another colleague of mine had told me about it. It was the first time I'd ever heard of it, and there were only three responses. I hadn't been teaching very long, and somebody had said um, she's great. She's really defensive, and so I came to class the next day, and it was oh. a brand new group of students, and I said I've been told I'm defensive and I am not and this, <laughs> and this one guy this one young guy raised his hand and he said okay but you do understand how what you just said was kind of defensive <laughs> and I thought I, d- I do actually I, I learned something so I learned something from them and it was uh, it was just a nice little reminder that the achiever in me can be prematurely what an odd thing to say about aggressive. professor though yeah defensive? I was thinking the same thing that especially she's great She's defensive. Seems like an odd connection. Yeah. Well, I mean, I it think seems gendered also. It was definitely, I can't imagine that statement being leveled against a male professor. Yeah, I yeah. was in my 20s still. I had just started teaching. I like to think that I looked about their age, and, and I probably was. I mean, I probably was not yet comfortable in the classroom in the way that, you know, now nobody asks me how old I am anymore. They just assume... Middle age. <laughs> middle age. Middle age. It used to be I'd no, walk in and they'd don't. say, you're the teacher. Yeah, now yeah. it's nope. Yep. Crickets. <laughs> She's the teacher. Mm-hmm. Look at you. Of you're course. going gray. You're definitely the teacher. <laughs> Hannah, no one can see me. You can't prove that that claim. You know, you're 50 shades of gray in your hair. Oh. Not Actually, our, our show is on E later tonight. So <laughs> people will be on the <laughs> With a blog that goes with it, where people yeah. can, can uh, respond with snarky comments. No, don't. Please don't. No, I'm not no, reading the comments you, on this, if they exist. You're visually shutting okay, down right yeah, now. Yeah, I did, I did. <laughs> well, I want to thank you both for being here. This was a lot of fun. It was a lively conversation. Any last few comments you want to make before you go? Uh, no, I think I, Hannah's giving me the bite my tongue uh, <laughs> eyes. Look at me. No, She's I'm defensive. not. I'm She's just, great. I, uh, She's defensive. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for having us. Yeah, well. thanks for having us. <laughs> you meant to say. <laughs> You've been a lot of fun. Thanks so much. And thank you all for checking in with Office Hours. Come back next week with um, Office Hours on 88.1 WRFL, Radio Free Lexington. Bye, Brian. <laughs> Office Hours is produced in cooperation with WRFL and the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of Kentucky. This broadcast theme song is Sandu, performed by Hugo Drupi Contini and provided by the Free Music Archive. <laughs>